At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Through our message series, Soul Food, when a meal with Jesus was more than food, we'll unpack what Jesus has to teach us from the time He spent around the table. Here in the ordinary, everyday sharing of a meal, we'll discover who Jesus came for, what it takes to be with Him, and how you and I can be changed by His greatness and grace. Amen. Good morning, church. It's good to be with you all. Good to share with you from God's Word and worship Him in that way. And I'm excited to begin this new sermon series that um, is unique in that we're especially partnering it with our effort in life groups. Um, as there's a book that correlates with the sermon series written several years ago, but, but really, really helpful. Um, and I'm also um, especially grateful for this sermon series because of the way it relates to how we do ministry here at Woodside Lapeer, and especially our heart for life groups. Um, our method for ministering the gospel, the way we really want to emphasize it, um, is really captured in the life of Christ um, through this sermon series and the different passages we're going to look at, especially through Luke's gospel. So we'd love to get you connected in a life group. Um, at the Connect desk, uh, there's cards you can fill out in the Connect card in your bulletin. You can fill that out, drop it in the offering plate. We'd love to get you connected with a group. It's kind of a good onboarding point because um, we're just beginning this study. So we'd love to try to connect you in community, dive deeper into God's Word, and deeper into relationship. So we're beginning this sermon series called Meals with Jesus, and we're going to work our way through the Gospel of Luke, specific passages within the Gospel of Luke, leading up all the way to Easter, just four or five weeks from now, if you can believe it. And um, <clears throat> I want to set this up by looking at a few different, pa- or a few different really just verses in Scripture. Um, and before we look at those verses, it's, it's helpful to remember the title, The Son of Man. If you've read through the Gospels, especially Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus over and over refers to himself as the Son of Man. It's this really profound title that's rooted in the book of Daniel and prophecies there. But Jesus is, it was Jesus' favorite title to refer to himself as, actually, the Son of Man. And there's three times in the Gospels that Jesus says of himself, the Son of Man came. The Son of Man came. The Son of Man came. Um, Luke, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 10, verse 45 is the first one. Luke chapter 10, uh, Luke chapter 19, verse 10 is another one. And then Luke chapter 7, verse 34. It says three different times he says, The Son of Man came, fill in the blank. The first two relate to why the Son of Man came. The Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He says, that's why I came, to serve you by giving my life as the redemption price. And in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, in that exchange with Zacchaeus, he says, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Again, this relates to why he came, to save the lost, to find them, his purpose But in Luke chapter 7, verse 34, he doesn't so much share why he came. He shares how he came. What was his method? What was his way for connecting with people, 
for building relationships, for ministering the gospel? What was the way the Son of Man came? Eating and drinking. That's the way Jesus built relationships. That's the way Jesus connected with people. That's the context in which Jesus ministered the gospel, primarily. Eating and drinking with those he ministered to. There's one scholar who sort of tongue-in-cheek says, in the gospel of Luke, Jesus is either going to a meal or at a meal or leaving a meal. There is never a case in which one of those three things is not happening. But in a sense, all of his activity is built around going to a meal, eating a meal, or just having left a meal. So the importance and prominence of meals in Jesus' life was really important not just because he needed nourishment like we all do, but it was the way he ministered the gospel. And that's a big part of what we hope to accomplish is to minister like Jesus did. So we're gonna walk through Luke's gospel looking at several of these meals leading up to, of course, the Lord's Supper on Good Friday, and then another meal he has after he's risen from the grave on Easter. So this morning we're in Luke chapter five, verses 27 through 32, one of my favorite passages in scripture. I've preached this Many times, but I got a whole new sermon for you guys. Don't worry. Luke chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. Brothers and sisters, hear the words of our God. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And Jesus said to Levi, follow me. And leaving everything, Jesus rose Levi rose and followed Jesus. And Levi made Jesus a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at Jesus' disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Who do you eat with? Who do you eat with? In the normal course of your daily life, who do you share meals with? Well, this isn't a hard question, right? We eat with our families, those that we're united to by blood or adoption. We eat with our coworkers, those we're partnered with in our labor. We eat with our friends, those we're united with through all sorts of experiences and common interests. We eat with the people we know. We eat with the people we love. We eat with the people with whom we're united. So this afternoon after church, I got a challenge for you. Go to a restaurant for lunch, get your food, find a random group of people sitting out there, pull up a chair at their table, and start eating your food. They're gonna look at you like, "Uh, excuse me, who are you? Why are you eating with us? And it's gonna get awkward fast, why? because we eat with the people we know. 
We eat with the people we love and care about. We eat with the people with whom we share solidarity. So the question, who do you eat with, really turns into, who do you love? Who do you care about? Who are the people with whom you are regularly trying to grow in relationship? Well, I can tell you who that is. It's the people you eat with. You can tell me all day, oh, I love this person. I really care about them. I'm really trying to get to know them. But if you haven't eaten a meal with them, then I would question your claim to love them. The people present at our meals, the people we visit a restaurant with, the people who get a seat at our dinner table, those are the people we really love. And here's the challenge of Luke chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. Following Jesus means feasting with sinners. Following Jesus means sharing a meal, sharing table fellowship with perhaps some unlikely guests. We may say that we want to see God transform the people in this community by the power of the Holy Spirit, but are we willing to have the people who need spiritual transformation into our homes to share a meal with us? We may say we have a sincere desire to share the gospel with a lost neighbor or friend, but have we even shared a meal with that neighbor or friend? We eat with the people we love, and following Jesus means feasting with sinners. So let's walk back through this story and observe the life of Christ as he loves broken people and sits at table with them. So the story begins with this powerful turnaround in the life of a man named Levi. This man is also known as Matthew, who later wrote one of the Gospels, but here he is referred to as Levi. He probably went by Levi because of his ancestry and being connected to the tribe of Levi. You remember the 12 tribes of Israel. One of those tribes was called the Levites, And the Levites were specifically chosen by God to serve as priests within the tabernacle and then later the temple during the Old Testament. But as we see here, Matthew, Levi, is not working as a priest. He's a tax collector. Now, even today, when we mention the IRS or we think about April 15th, no one is getting excited because no one likes paying taxes, even the most passionately patriotic citizens of any country usually aren't as passionate about paying taxes. However, the tax collecting situation was very different and worse in Israel in Jesus' day. So during that time, the region of Judea was occupied territory. And it was occupied by the Roman Empire. And the empire would hire locals, in this case local Jews, to collect taxes to send the money back to Rome. And these Jewish tax collectors were hated within Israel society. They were outcasts. They were traitors. They had turned their back on God's people and they had turned their back on God and they were working for the enemy, Rome. And Matthew is one of these slimy, compromised, apostate tax collectors. 
And Jesus is carrying out his itinerant ministry, traveling ministry. One day he comes upon Matthew's tax booth and he looks at this social outcast, this societally despised man. And he says, follow me. In other words, he says, come after me as one of my disciples. He says to Levi Matthew, everyone else may reject you, but I will have you. Everyone in Israel may be repulsed by what you're doing and disgusted by who you've become, but you are just the kind of person I came for. You'll be perfect among my disciples. Follow me, Jesus says. And Luke reports that leaving everything, Levi rose and followed Jesus right out of that tax booth. I want to read to you one of the stories from the book, Meals with Jesus, which we've based this sermon series off of, and our life groups, as I said, are reading together. In the book, the author shares the story of an Argentinian man named Daniel. He writes this, as a teenager, Daniel lived what he referred to as a hypocritical double life, outwardly respectable, a member of the church choir, but when Daniel got a girl pregnant, they ran away together. He joined the police, hoping for a cushy desk job, but this was during military rule in Argentina. The training was a form of brainwashing. The trainees were taught to break into cars, cope with tear gas, fight blindfolded. They were indoctrinated, learning to hate Jews and terrorists. After six months, Daniel was selected for an elite anti-terrorist division. He told of guarding a door behind which people were being tortured. Another day, they processed a truck with 30 packages, code language for men being taken away to be killed. During this time, Daniel started losing control, becoming violent. He got involved in criminal activities, did his first armed robbery with a hand grenade that he apparently still owns to this day, sort of a memento, I guess. Eventually, Daniel was arrested for charges that included killing a police corporal. He wasn't tried in criminal court because he was deemed insane, so he was put instead in a secure mental institution for two years, lived in a bare cell with no toilet, no clothes, except a straitjacket and a daily cocktail of drugs that added up to 40 different meds. At one point, Daniel shared a cell with someone who didn't believe God existed, but the devil did. So the man suggested they read the Bible in 40 days so that he could find out more about Satan. Daniel was reluctant, but the other man couldn't read because of all his drugs. They had affected his eyes. So Daniel started reading 59 pages a day, the rate required to complete the Bible in 40 days. And on day four, he read from Deuteronomy chapter 30. The word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. When they read that verse, both men felt God powerfully with them at that moment. The other man didn't want to continue, but Daniel continued reading alone. After a few days, he asked God to release him. 
And immediately he was free from tobacco use and his cocktail of drugs and he was within his right mind. And so within two years, he was released to do a menial job in the hospital and a few months after that, allowed to leave. God's grace in Daniel's life radically changed him, making him a gracious person who has committed his life to the marginalized, ministering to the patients at that same psychiatric hospital where he first started following Jesus, end quote. Man, that is just like Jesus, isn't it? Jesus finds sinners. Jesus finds sinners, whether it's at a tax booth in Galilee 2,000 years ago or a psychiatric hospital in South America 20 years ago. Jesus finds sinners. He reaches out to the untouchable. He calls out to the outcast. He loves the loveless. He finds sinners. The question is, has he found you? Have you responded to the call of Christ to become one of his disciples? Well, if not, by the authority of Christ, I urge you, follow Jesus. Follow him. Like Matthew, leave everything behind. And follow him. And let me encourage you, it doesn't matter how gross your sin is, how shameful your actions have become. Jesus will take you just as you are. He won't leave you just as you are. He's going to change you. But you can come to him just as you are with all your sin and shame. He will take you. Follow him. That's what Levi does here. He responds to Jesus' invitation to become one of his disciples. And right after that, Levi wants to introduce all of his tax-collecting buddies to his new rabbi and Lord. So Levi throws a party, throws a big party. Verse 29 says that Levi made Jesus a great feast And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. So Levi puts on this big party for Jesus. A large group of tax collectors are there. They're feasting. Levi is celebrating this new direction for his life and showing off that he, a tax collector, has a rabbi. And in this way, Jesus is feasting. Jesus is Partying, I dare say, with sinners. Scott Barchi is a New Testament scholar, and he writes these words about eating in the ancient world. He says this, quote, It would be difficult to overestimate the importance of table fellowship for the cultures of the Mediterranean basin in the first century. Mealtimes were far more than occasions for individuals to consume nourishment. No, being welcomed at a table for the purpose of eating food with another person had become richly symbolic of friendship, intimacy, and unity. Thus, betrayal or unfaithfulness toward anyone with whom you had shared a meal was viewed as particularly reprehensible. On the other hand, When persons were estranged, a meal invitation opened the way to reconciliation. A meal was symbolic 
of friendship, intimacy, and unity. A meal invitation opened the way to reconciliation. Up until 1964, about 58 years ago, segregation laws defined the life experience for many people in our country. Of course, segregation laws were about segregating, separating Caucasian people from African people. Segregation laws related to where people could attend school, where people could or couldn't buy homes, where people sat on a bus, and they related to where you ate. Especially in the Deep South, but other parts of the country as well, restaurants could legally practice segregation by forcing people of different ethnicities to sit in opposite sides of their eating space. So just picture this in your mind. A restaurant full of customers. One side people look like this, the other side people look like that, not eating together. Not sharing table fellowship. What a powerful, even if tragic, symbol of division. And I wonder if Martin Luther King Jr. had that kind of scene in his mind when he wrote this famous line in his I Have a Dream speech. This is one of his lines from that speech. He said, quote, I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. You see, King was aware that sitting together at the table to break bread, to share space, to share food and drink, that's reconciliation. That's community. When you sit down together for supper. And that is the heart of Christ. He came to reconcile broken sinners with their creator God. He came to reconcile us to God and reconcile us with one another. Jesus came to break down the walls of division that exist between us and God and to break down the walls that we have between us. And the grace of Jesus is not just some abstract idea that he pontificated about. No, Jesus puts his grace into the concrete practice of sharing a meal with sinners. Jesus parties with sinners, all kinds of sinners. So accept his invitation to party with him, to eat with him. Receive Jesus' grace which flows from the cross where he died for sinners, where he traded his life for our own. And praise God for the good news. Jesus feasts with sinners. So this party is going on at Levi's house. 
But the party is not only attended by tax collectors. Oh, no. Here come the Pharisees. The Pharisees are the religion police. They are the righteous, the morally conservative, the religious traditionalists. The Pharisees were this sect within Judaism that sought to be meticulous when it came to following the Mosaic Code. In fact, they added rules to the rules of God's law so that they wouldn't even come close to breaking God's law. That was the idea. Like if God said to tithe part of your money for the temple, they would say, well, we must also tithe part of our food, even down to the spices. We have to give a tenth of them to the temple. They were very zealous and scrupulous in maintaining the externals and behaviors of religion. Well, verse 30, the Pharisees come upon this party, and here's their response to this scene. The Pharisees and scribes grumbled at Jesus' disciples. They grumbled, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? So they can't believe this. They are appalled. This is a scandal. An influential religious leader like Jesus should not be partying and feasting with tax collectors and sinners. And notice, they're not objecting that Jesus is feasting. They are not objecting to Jesus partying. What they're objecting to is who Jesus is feasting and partying with. How could you associate with such scum, unclean tax collectors and sinners? Verse 31, Jesus responds. Jesus answered the Pharisees, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick have need of a physician. I have not come to call the righteous, but I have come to call sinners to repentance. In other words, Jesus says, I am here at this party fulfilling my mission. I am feasting with outcasts and rejects in order to fulfill my heaven-sent mission. The whole reason I came was to heal the sick. The whole reason I came was to call sinners to repentance. So if you guys aren't sick, if you guys are righteous on your own, then see your way out. And this attitude from the Pharisees and other religious leaders, it just continued all the way through Jesus' life. Much later in his life and ministry, Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2 says this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes still grumbling. They said, this man, he receives sinners and he eats with them. Even 10 chapters later, these guys still haven't learned their lesson. They don't celebrate the grace of God in redeeming the lives of broken sinners. No, they are offended by the grace of God in redeeming broken sinners. They grumble about it. How could Jesus receive and eat with sinners? And so the Pharisees totally miss the heart of God. 
They're caught up in the externals of religion like circumcision and dietary laws and Sabbath regulations, but they have missed the way that all of those things are meant to point us to the grace of God and our deep need for grace to cover our sin. So when they see Jesus with tax collectors and sinners, they are so totally put off. The Pharisees are put off, but like he said in chapter 15, verse 1, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near. Jesus offends and puts off the self-righteous, morally superior hypocrites, but he compels and draws in the outcasts, the miscreant, the degenerates. Why is this? Well, oftentimes... The really obviously sinful people have a deeper sense of their need for God's grace. The Pharisees don't think they're too sick, so why go to a doctor? But the tax collector, the prostitute, the addict, the adulterer, oftentimes it's those folks, they know what they've done, and they are drawn to Jesus like a magnet because he loves them despite what they've done. He sits at table with them despite the stain of their iniquity. He shares a meal with them despite the stench of their sin. And his willingness to share a meal with them ultimately points to his willingness to share his life with them. By dying on their behalf, Jesus' eating habits point to his sacrificial love. So church, as those who have experienced and received God's love, let's embrace the truth that following Jesus means feasting with sinners. We don't need awesome buildings. We don't need hip pastors. We don't need a lot of money. We don't need an awesome program or outreach curriculum. All we need is some burgers and buns and grills and some fries maybe. All we need is a willingness to open our homes to the people God puts in our lives to pull up a seat at the table for a friend, for a neighbor. This is Jesus' philosophy of ministry. Ready? Eat with people. I paid thousands of dollars to go to a seminary (laughs) to figure that out. And I'm here to tell you, it's, 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 it's complicated, guys. It's rocket science. You need a master of divinity to get this. You ready? This is Jesus' philosophy of ministry. Eat with people. Even broken sinner outcasts like you and me. And so God, may he empower us to continue this mission and this ministry 
of sharing the gospel of the kingdom over burgers and fries. May he empower us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father in heaven, our hearts are encouraged this morning as we reflect on the grace and love of Jesus to look at Levi in the eyes, right in the middle of his sin, right in the middle of carrying out his traitorous actions. And Jesus said, follow me. I think of Pastor Gary's story, sitting in a car, desperate, and hearing the call of Christ, follow me. And his life was transformed. I think of so many other stories in this room where the gracious, merciful call of Christ reached our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit right in the middle of our mess and turned our lives around. Father, I pray for any here who have not heard Jesus call to them, follow me. I pray they'd hear it now through the witness of the scriptures, through the words of a friend or a pastor even. May your Holy Spirit stir and call sinners to repentance. Father, we're grateful too for the love of Christ demonstrated in a meal to share space, to share food, to share the table with a whole company of tax collectors and sinners. And so God, as we follow you, may we do the same. May we have the courage and love to extend an invitation. May we have the courage and love to accept an invitation and to sit at table with the people you've put in our lives, to love them, to connect with them over a simple meal where profound things can happen. You are a God of reconciliation. And we are ambassadors of Christ with a message of reconciliation. Help us to fulfill this mission by way of eating and drinking, just like Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.